Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs, and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. The show features interviews with entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms and experts who share insight and practical information to help you get past your blocks, move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. The show is available in both video and audio formats on a variety of platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, in the Google Play Store, on YouTube, and on my website at winnieanderson.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with others, and I hope you'll join my community. You can become a fan of the show on my site at winnieanderson.com slash fans. When you do, you'll get episodes delivered right to your inbox, along with information, tips, and resources to help you move forward consistently with courage, confidence, and clarity. My objective is to help you position and pre-sell yourself as the unique solution provider you are and ultimately to profit from your expertise so you build a business in alignment with your faith, beliefs, and values. Today, you're living a life physically active, taking for granted the miracle of movement. While you may have the occasional ache or pain, the world is an accessible place for you. But imagine waking up one day to a physical sensation that starts as just a minor annoyance. Your big toe feels numb. Did you pinch a nerve? Did you sleep on it wrong? No matter. It'll work itself out, right? Well, what if it doesn't? Imagine the next day your leg is numb and soon you're not able to move it. Within about 48 hours of that toe going numb, Imagine that you're paralyzed from the waist down. Now imagine all that happens to you at 15 years old. That's what happened to today's guest, speaker and coach Scott Chesney. Scott is a dynamic speaker, a coach, and for two decades has been a navigator of life with paralysis. He's CEO of the Raise Hope Foundation, a nonprofit that trains, mentors, and places people with disabilities in careers in the financial services industry. Scott is also an ambassador for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. He's married and is the father of two children. So listen in as Scott shares how he went from three-sport athlete to paralyzed from the waist down in about 48 hours. His emotional road to independence and how he had the breakthrough that led to his life and work today. He shares the journey from disabled employee to successful entrepreneur and coach, talks about how he built his speaking business, and shares tips for recognizing the gift inside of trauma. He also talks about what keeps him going and how you can use the same thing to inspire your own breakthrough. Now, as always, listen all the way to the end where I'll share your cocktail exercise and action step for this episode. All right. So thank you, Scott. I am so excited to have you here today. Hello, Winnie. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And uh, thanks for inviting me. Oh, I'm really looking forward to this interview. Not that I don't love all of my guests, but I'm really fired up for, to, for this interview. First of all, love interviewing Jersey guys. Anytime I can interview any Jersey guy, I'm totally behind it. So I think you got to get out more often, <laughs> but, but that's okay. I, I, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm proud of that. Thank you. I'm privileged. <laughs> Believe me, I live uh, right now. I live seven miles north of Niagara Falls, New York. I'm not getting out until about mid-April. So <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck for the duration right now. And we're on day 20 of snow. Normally, well, I wouldn't date an episode like that, but come on. <laughs> All right. So you are, as I was just sharing with you, you are the poster boy for the message that I want to send through this show. So that's really what gets me so excited about talking to you, not just that you're a nice guy. So let's start with some of your backstory for the folks who don't know you. I was doing research for a project and found your website, literally stumbled on it in, in Google. And when I started to poke around your site, and of course I read your story, and I'll be honest with you, my mouth fell open. First of all, you were just 15 
when you suddenly had some symptoms and then all of a sudden were paralyzed. Yes. And, and, and you were, you were like a basketball semi-phenom, right? You were, you were a great athlete and you were, I'm sure, looking forward to a great collegiate career or at least enjoying that sport for a long time, I'm sure. Can you talk about, one, how the heck did that happen? Because that's really super scary. Right. And two, how did you deal with the emotional residue of that? Absolutely. Um, well, life was all about movement for me. I mean, it was football, basketball, and baseball. It was it was difficult to get me to sit down and read a book. Um, again, enjoyed movement. And then it was just December 28th, 1985. I was a sophomore at Verona High School. I had just awakened uh, the morning after a high school basketball game, and I couldn't feel my left toe. It was like when your foot falls asleep or part yeah. of your body, those pins and needles. And then thought nothing of it, thought maybe like, you know, my foot had fallen asleep or something like that. But then within 48 hours, that numbness went up one leg, went up a second leg. Um, at first, just not being able to, to feel normally, but then it had gotten to the muscle, so unable to move. And it ended up resulting in paralysis for any medical people out there, uh, T7 downward. So almost like two inches above my belly button, down to my toes. Um, full paralysis um, to the point where I couldn't move my legs. My legs still, to this day, feel like when your foot falls asleep, but like 50 times more intense and there's things that can increase that as well. But it was just uh, something, a lot of times when we see someone um, in a wheelchair or someone has some type of physical disability, we think that, you know what, there's been some kind of um, trauma, there's been an accident, right. there's been an injury. What they diagnosed me with was almost like a congenital AVM, an arterial venous malformation. So this was in my body uh, since birth. Um, I could have gone my whole life without anything happening. Again, on that day in 1985, there was no trauma, no accident, no injury. It was just my time. So these blood vessels that were malformed burst, bled. And the best way to describe it is almost like a stroke in the spinal cord. And we know most strokes occur in the brain and gone down. Right. Mine occurred in the spinal cord. So it's almost like cut off that circulation to that part of the spinal cord that controls those uh, that movement and functions um, in my body from about, again, my belly button down to my toes. So it, it was very rare at the time. It was the 12th documented case ever. They had said in the history of the world there was a retired pathologist from Africa who was visiting um, uh, the hospital I was in, visiting my doctor in New York City. And he just said, hey, take a look at this. And he had seen one of those 11 cases before mine. So um, it, it was quite traumatic. I, I, I say at the time, Winnie, is that it was very traumatic for my family. It was very traumatic for my friends. Um, I don't really, I, I think I had a moment with it when my doctors told me I would never walk again. But I still think deep down inside, I thought I was sick. And just as this entered my body, it was going to exit my body. So it, it took me a long time. I, I'm probably going to say about uh, a good 12 years that I finally got around to grieving over what had happened to me. So it's almost like, you know what, I didn't miss a beat. There, there's so much that disability, accident, injury, illness gives us <laughs> that I know that I benefited from. And uh, I just really, again, having so much taken away from my life in so many other ways, Winnie, I didn't miss a beat. I got back into school, graduated with my, my friends and went on to college and kind of moved forward. Um, but again, like anything in life that we don't deal with, there's some people who like experience trauma at the very beginning. I can't handle this and, right. and check out. I'm going to take yeah. their lives and I'm not here to judge anyone. And right. so to know the actual progression of where someone goes and what's his and her journey is all about, it's really up to the individual. For me, it's kind of like I put it in that backpack and I moved on with my life. But as I, I got older and started realizing that, you know what, it wasn't so much about what I created outside of myself in life. It was more what was going on within me. Right. That backpack got heavier. And it wasn't until about 1997, um, my, my first trip around the world, that I kind of opened up that backpack. And I finally grieved. And um, 
got angry and got upset. Everything that you would give a 15-year-old permission to experience mm-hmm. had this happened to him or her. I gave myself permission uh, 12 years later, and that's when my healing journey, my journey of self-discovery really started to um, be embarked upon. Okay. Yeah, that's a great recap, and I can echo that. Uh, you know, there, those stages of grief are real. We do go through them, and I know that I, I can feel a little bit of what you must have experienced with the pinch thing because you're you're trying to rationalize this this is this is nothing i pinched a nerve right i played basketball yesterday i pinched a nerve it's there's something it this this is not a big deal i yeah, my, I, um, my coach actually said i had shin splints at the time so it was funny now i'm paralyzed yeah. and in the hospital bed um he knocks on the door i was i think about 48 hours into my hospital stay and i just said Hey, coach, or should I call you doctor now? And to this day, I still joke around with him about that and everything. But you know what? It's so, so bizarre, so strange. There's still a part of me, Winnie, to this day that I'm still, there's that element of uncertainty as to really what happened to me. I was just glad because they were getting ready to put me on a respiratory. They didn't know if it was going to go up. They didn't know if it was going to affect my arms, if it was going to affect my brain. So I was just, you talk about having so much taken away from you. Even as a 15-year-old boy who's had so much taken away from him, there was that part of me that was experiencing gratitude. It wasn't for what I didn't have anymore, but what I still had. And I think yeah. that's where I derived a lot of my strength from my conviction to move forward. Yeah, I can. And again, I can echo that. My accident was in 1999. I've had other minor, relatively minor in, in comparison to you, of course, uh, injuries. I have something called state trooper syndrome in my legs where I have no feeling in uh, either of my legs on the outside. I have two crushed nerves in, in one in both thighs. And the first time I, and I was in college, first time I woke up with that and I'm like, what in the heck? is this. So, yeah, you have that instant panic, but, uh, and let's talk a little bit about that, this element of gratitude that's in there, because when I was in my accident, unconscious, came to at one point, passed out again, woke up again later, you know, passed out, wasn't comatose, but was in and out of consciousness for about a week. And I, I, it's it's hard to believe for some people, but yes, you can have that moment of lucidity and be grateful. If for nothing else, grateful that you're still alive. Absolutely. Because I, 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 things yeah. can certainly get a heck of a lot worse. I just think at that time and probably still to this day is that I mean, there's much more of an awareness today and a commitment and appreciation for gratitude. Right. I almost want to think that so much subconsciously was going on. There was such a, a tug of war that was going on between what had been taken from my life and mm-hmm. still what I had yes. in my life. And so I'm just thankful that that, that tug of war, that um, feeling of what it is that I still had in my life and what I was still able to do prevailed over what I didn't have in life. And still to this day, I still share with my clients, I share with my audiences that we talk about so much of what we want in life. Right. And I, I tell people to want the world and then some. Go after everything that you want, but just make what it is that you have just a little bit stronger each and every day. That allows you to be in the moment and appreciate what it is that you you have, no matter what the circumstances are. Right. So you you talked about... First of all, where do you think that that basic kernel of that optimism, that positivity, gratitude, where do you think that basic kernel comes from? Do you think you won DNA roulette or was it your upbringing? Did your parents instill that concept in you? Do you think it grew out of your sports training or you know, did you somehow just absorb it from the environment? because you were around positive people maybe, where do you think that that comes from, that you were able to grasp onto that little, I'm going to hold on to the fact that I'm still alive and my arms are working? I, I, I think it's all of the above. Obviously, okay. my, my parents have always been optimists, and they've always uh, wanted me to work through things. 
that athlete that is still within me today, 32 years later and will always be, I know helped me to derive, derive the strength that I needed to, to move forward and not only survive, but thrive in the face of my paralysis. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I just think because that blueprint that I help people to access through my work, um, I believe all signs are pointing towards your heart. I, I think it's when we live too much and we're conditioned to live up in our heads. And I tell people when we're up in our heads and it's about fear, then it's about disbelief, then it's about playing small in life. But I've realized, and we go there in times of courage, in terms of the, the answering of our heart. But I, I help people to help themselves live from there every day. Obviously, you can access it in times of courage. And I tell people, when your heart's leading the way, then it's about courage, then it's about expansion, and it's about subscribing to the belief that anything is possible. And so it's creating as quick of a blueprint as possible to access that heart. And so we're at, while I'm not in any place to judge anyone who, who can't handle any circumstances, I just don't mean like a, a traumatic injury like this. I'm talking about the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of, of finances, you name it, is that I, I truly believe that that strength inside our heart, that courage, that conviction that says we can weather any storm, and again, not just survive, but thrive. And I've seen it, not only in my own life, but in so many people around the world who I've met, who I've worked with. So I know that it's possible, but when we can't or when we prevent ourselves from going into our heart and we reside in our heads and our minds, that's when we lose that connection to ourselves. Yeah. And then we lose that connection with other people. When we don't feel that connection within ourselves, and with other people, that's when we can do some terrible things to ourselves and also to other people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Amen on all of that. So you mentioned your breakdown, I'm going to call it, at, at the 12-year mark. Again, there must be some something okay, to well, I'm this. Gonna correct it. I'm going to correct down, but more of a breakthrough. Um, and that's, and that's I, a great got, way to put it. I have one of my yeah. greatest teachers in one ear whispering to me right now, and that's Tony Robbins, and he taught me all about um, breakthroughs in life. So while, yeah. you know what, I needed to break down the, the prevailing word is breakthrough there. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you. I think that the person who does have that breakdown, it's then important to recognize that it wasn't a breakdown. It was truly a breakthrough. And some people of course get stuck in that breakdown point. So I'm glad you clarified that. Absolutely. I tell people all the time that when you can get to the point that your deepest wound is your greatest gift, that's really when the full transformation can be experienced. It's, it is a journey for everyone, and you're right. There's no judging going on. Everybody walks their own path, and they walk it at their own pace. But can you – I know for me, so I'll share a little bit of my, my journey. It was, you know, was, oh, my gosh, so – so frustrating. I was at the time of the accident director of human resources for a large chapter of a nonprofit, and I had lost my ability to function, truly, at a in a work level. And there was nothing more frustrating than not being able to do basic math, mm. to not be able to say the word I could hear in my head, and that loss just pissed me off so tremendously and I was determined to get past it but it took me probably 10 or 12 years to even admit to myself yeah I have brain damage right and, and you know what you talk about 10 or 12 years that that's exactly what my path was all about so yeah here I am for the first 10 years um of my well, let's see I mean because it's a 97 I'm trying to go over in my head, 85, I, I don't know, is that I just know that, you know what, I move forward in my life. Right. I just yep. kind of continued on that path and putting everything in that backpack. And then it wasn't until an opportunity came to me to take my first trip around the world, um, which was kind of by myself, went to 15 countries in 15 months. This was um, an unbelievable gift given from me, given to me by man who's like a second father to me, but a man who knows himself so well that he understands other people. So it was almost like the gift that he was giving me, um, I was going to be able to absolutely open up 
and begin to explore and kind of model the way he was living his life in many ways. And so um, I just remember I was probably about six months into my trip around the world. I was in Athens, Greece, probably the most inaccessible country at the time. Now, this yeah. was 1997, 1998, is that most inaccessible country. So it was very difficult for me to get around. I just remember probably about two or three days staying in my hotel room. And um, for the first time in my life, really wanting to take my life. And so what's amazing about that, Winnie, is that here I am on a journey all around the world, all expenses paid, basically told, leave whenever you want, come back whenever you want, no obligations, all the bills back home were paid for. So you might say, this is a dream come true. But it was just validation for me that it doesn't matter necessarily what it is that you create outside yourself. Right. It matters what's going on within. And when you're creating that expansion, when you're creating that healing and that growth on the inside, then the outside world becomes an expression of that. But if it's just about that, there always is that feeling. Like some people are in phenomenal jobs right now, Winnie. I mean, making like great money and, and, and doing great creating for themselves and for their families, but something is missing. Yeah. And so it's like the inside's not matching the outside. So on the inside, it was still that 15-year-old boy who had yet to grieve over what had happened to him. So I finally gave him permission to get angry, mm -hmm. to get mad. I beat up on a few pillows. I didn't trash my room like a, a rock star in a hotel, <laughs> but I went through my own grieving in which on the other side of that was just like, okay, now my journey. The whole thing's been a journey, but now my journey mm -hmm. of transformation can truly begin. And so when you mentioned like the stages of grief, I, I believe in those stages too. I just don't necessarily believe that they go in the, the actual stages. I, I think that there's an up and a down and an <laughs> Absolutely. up. Absolutely. I might jump to that first one. Yeah. So what, what's very interesting these days though, is that what I need to make sure of, because I, I've become so like aware of my surroundings and aware of what's going on in life. And there's been a lot of spiritual growth is that there's that part of me that sometimes will rationalize things. And I will get to that point where, wow, this is happening for a reason and try to get around to that message. But one of the key elements, which my journey and in which I was in Athens, Greece, always reminds me of is that you got to feel those feelings. You got to feel those feelings. And if yes. we become too like intelligent, I don't, I don't even want to say intelligent. I want to say aware. We don't give ourselves that permission. And I think it's because it scares us sometimes. I mean, when I tell you like a, a primal cry, a primal moan, a primal, like just a, a grieving that took place. I mean, that is huge. And, you know, it, again, no one would have ever judged that if I felt that from day one of my paralysis. Right. So it's just, it's so big and so huge for some people that, you know what, they don't want to unwrap that gift. And you mentioned that before, is that sometimes our, our wounds are our greatest gifts, is that we don't want to unwrap that. Right. It's always there waiting for us. So when I did that in Athens, Greece, and again, there's still a part of me each and every day that will cry tears of sadness, wondering what could have been. What if I was on that feet? You mentioned, yeah, you know what? I wanted to go to college and play basketball. If that didn't happen, play quarterback for the football team. I wanted to go to college and play football. I mean, there's still a part of me that looks back and says, you know, what would life have been? But quickly is that I go to that place of gratitude. And I think about all the things, whether it's meeting my wife at a physical therapy conference. She's a physical therapy student. She was in the audience. I was asked awesome. to give this talk 10 days before my trip around the world um, because they want me to share my experiences of being paralyzed. Had that never happened, I would have met my wife. One of my dearest friends was my first physical therapist um, in, in Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation, mm -hmm. which is about 10 minutes from my home now. And it's just all these gifts that did the gift to, to meet this gentleman who became like my second father, the journey around the world, right. even maybe speaking and coaching, which I do now. I don't know if this would have happened right. had it not been for that day in 1985. So yeah. there, there's two, there's a list of things that have been taken away from my life, things that I have not been able to do. But when I tell you the list of things that I've still been able to do, and the gifts and the rewards and the blessings that flood my life on a daily basis will absolutely 
outweigh anything else. And I say that for myself, Winnie, but I also say that to anyone who is listening and watching our podcast right now is that, you know what, there are, there is that discrepancy within all of us. There is so much more that we are really in a place to be grateful for rather than what has been taken from our lives. And it's not to minimize. It's Mm -hmm. not to minimize what it is that you've lost, what it is that you're struggling with and what your challenges are. And they're not supposed to be compared. Well, so, cause I don't want someone watching this program is like, you know, what am I complaining about? Look what Scott's been through. You know, and I don't do that. I don't say to myself, wow, you know what? There's somebody out there that uh, is listening that has it far worse off than I do. I I don't look at it that way. We all have our unique challenges and we all have our unique gifts and abilities to work through those challenges, to understand that every single experience, every single event, every single choice that we have made has led up to led us up to this magical moment right now for me all of my choices have led me up to Winnie Anderson in which I'm sharing this beautiful moment and we're both sharing and we're both healing when we're right. talking to one another yeah. any different choice any different experience that I would have had maybe wouldn't let me up to you so there's a part of me why would I want to change anything right so when yeah. you get to that point when you can take full responsibility for all those choices, for all those events, for those all those experiences, you're not only free here in your mind, but more importantly, you're free here in your heart. And that's when you can truly subscribe to the belief that anything yep. is possible. Yep. Amen on all of that. So a couple of things I want to just toss out here. This issue of it, you know, it took us 10 to 12 years to start the grieving process. I'm going to just, again, give my two cents. I don't want to project on you or anybody else. but for me, it was, you know, well, why did it take you so long? That's, that's what somebody actually asked me who I shared that, you know, I just dawned on me that I'm really, really brain damaged. I'm going to be this way forever. There's, not that we don't know about neuroplasticity and, and yes, I'm, I'm like day and night compared to 18 years ago, but you go in, this was true for me. I went into, all right, well, I'm going to manage this. I'm, I'm not going to listen to this diagnosis. That's not true. That's not what's happened. I am going to recover. I'm going to be the best I can be. And screw you. You can go ahead, doctor, and say that this is the best you're ever going to be. Fat chance. And so I was kind of in this major denial thing and so determined to control the outcome and so focused on, all right, what do I have to do? Give me a checklist. Give me the, you know, what is it that I have to do to get better? That only after I had gone through and walked a certain distance down this path did I then have that giant epiphany. Holy crap, I really am permanently brain damaged. Right. But, but it's not what I lost because there's always a way around it. And as you say, look at the magic that has been brought to me. I know I would not be in the place where I am if it wasn't for that accident. And look at the lives that have been changed because you had your experience, Right. right? You speak to these groups. Your message and experience ripples out. That's really how I think of it. I mean, you know, your wife's life alone was changed for the better by meeting you. So, yeah, just a really amazing thing. Both of thing. our lives were changed. <laughs> and, and absolutely. And, and again. Just in case she's listening to this. I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> exactly. Full credit. So, but that's all part of that journey process. So let's, let's jump in and, and fast forward to the whole employment and career process. So when, when I was in my recovery process, holy Moses, was it so frustrating, you know, getting well is your full-time job. I'm sure it was for you at one point going through therapy and, and learning how to navigate the world in a wheelchair, et cetera. And for me, it was too. I have, I have a vision problem. I have hearing problems. I'm all screwed up. So when I started to, you know, do some freelancing really made me my self-identity and my self-worth. It really helped give it a boost. But when I would apply for even somewhat in my mind was like a little part-time job, faced not quite open discrimination, but no accommodation. 
Yes, it was past the ADA period. And actually, I was the ADA, uh, the resident expert on the ADA for, for one of my employers. And, you know, you're not going to sue people. But so can you can you let's talk about your employment journey, because, you know, I hate to have to say this, but you fully support yourself and your family. Right. right. So how did you get a job? How did you what happened next? See, it, it, it's interesting because my disability did come into place, but I was one, and I've always been this way. I've, I've done a lot of networking, and I've connected myself, yep. and I had a lot of opportunities that were presented to me. Now, I will never forget my first job, my first job, uh, a position at a well-known public relations firm in New York City in the MetLife building awesome. was basically created for me. Now, mind you, I had just graduated college two months um, before given the opportunity to have this job. I was not qualified. I was a communications major <laughs> with a minor in political science. I was not qualified, even though this was a brand new position that they were creating, and I was up for the challenge. Now, um, a very, very good friend of mine had made this introduction to this place. They weren't hiring at the time. He brought me in there. There was this huge guy. He was about... 6'5", over 300 pounds, and I know that he was thinking, along with some of the principals there at the firm, is that this would look great. One, not only to have this guy who's in a wheelchair working here to diversify our little workforce, our little workplace here, but also this would be great to hire him as a thank you to this guy who's brought a lot of business into him and everything. So I realized all that going in and I'll never forget is that when I'm there face to face and he said, Scott, what can you bring to this firm that no one else has brought? And I just like thought about it, went into my heart and I said, um, four wheel drive and a lot of passion. That's awesome. And all of a sudden he hit his little intercom thing and brought the, asked for like a guy named Bob. I thought Bob was in charge of security. I thought I offended him so much. I'm going to be the first guy that ever gets thrown out of a wheelchair out of an interview. So he goes, you got to hear what this guy had to say. And I told him, I started laughing. Make a long story short. I got the job. Now, I got that job knowing, knowing again, I'm 20, about 22 years old. I got this job knowing that, you know what? I thought mainly, again, for the reason that I was in this wheelchair, I almost like fit a quota. And for what this guy did. So I made a pledge to myself. I was like, I'm never going to turn down an opportunity that is, quote unquote, given to me. I don't get into that place. I haven't earned it. Once I'm in there, I'm going to earn it to the point where, guess what? I'm going to be the one that keeps that door shut. And still to this day, now I left there under my own regards because there was another opportunity that was just a little bit more in sync with where I was heading in life. But there's still not like a year that goes by in which I'm not called from this firm wanting me back. And it has nothing to do with the wheelchair and it has nothing to do with the person who helped me get the interview. It was because of the job that I did there. So what's very interesting now, and my, my job eventually got me to speaking and got me to coaching okay. and mm -hmm. my trips around the world helped that. But one of the things that I do today as well is that I head up a foundation called Raise Hope Foundation. Right where we train and we coach and we mentor people with disabilities, mainly people with physical disabilities, and best preparing them for employment. And what we've realized through our research, through our studies, is that, you know, at that empowerment piece to feel like I can do this, I can manage my disability on a daily basis and have a full-time job, a part-time job, or maybe even telecommute work from home. Right. So it's that empowerment piece that I believe because the world's becoming more accessible. I think there are more companies that are diversifying their workforce, but, but, and you know, there, there still needs to be training and teaching on their end to fully understand, but it's that empowerment piece because what we've been able to do at Raise Hope is that get people interviews at formidable companies, huge corporations, and let them know that, listen, you're competing now for these jobs with people who are quote unquote able-bodied. But I'm going to let you know there's an accessible workplace waiting for you. There's an accessible, there's accessible technology. So this whole disability thing, it's not going to wash. So I need you to feel like you can make this happen and you can do it. And what I love to, because I, I conduct that portion of the training, is that I let people know, listen, think about what you've been through in terms of those initial days that maybe you were in the hospital or That's therapy. Right. 
And even, even those who have been born with their disability, those first few days of school in which someone maybe looked at you a different way and what you, everything that you have endured has prepared you. There is nothing that you can't tackle in this workplace. And what's interesting, so we have people going through the interviewing process, and I said, listen, what's going to separate you from the pack is using some of these stories, whether from rehab or whether it be like getting into a restaurant that wasn't accessible and how you manage that. One of the stories that I, I still love sharing with people is that when I was at Seton Hall University, I did an internship not too far away off campus. And it was um, to be an engineer for a radio show. There was a woman, her name was Adrienne Berg. She used to be on WABC radio, but she was starting her own independent um, show um, on, um, I think it was Voice America. I I forget what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, she was looking for an engineer. So I saw this posting down near the communications department at Seton Hall. And I just went up to the professor. I said, listen, I want to, and he's like, Scott, I don't know anything about accessibility. And I was like, I want to apply for it. So I applied for it, didn't tell him anything about, I said, don't tell him anything about my being in a wheelchair. Was told to show up. All of a sudden, I got to this house, Winnie, and there was eight stairs, eight stairs to get to a landing to get into this old Victorian house. And all of a sudden, I was like, okay, I got to do this. And so I got out of my chair, pulled up my wheelchair, put it up there, hoisted myself with my arms and my hands, got in that wheelchair, rang the doorbell. And all of a sudden, Adrian came to the door and she's like, how did you do that? And I said, I just explained to her how I did it. And she's like, you know what? I don't need to hear anymore. Come on in, but this job is yours. And then she showed me a staircase that was leading to upstairs where the broadcast was done. So I had a whole nother flight of stairs, but you know what? It was one of the best experiences and it was during the winter and we talk about snow. We talk about ice. You know what? I'm just one of those people. Winnie is like, just, Keep telling me I can't do something. Keep putting obstacles and challenges in my way. I'm going to find a way around you. I'm going over you. I'm going under you. And if I'm strong enough, I'm going through you. I will. I don't want you to think like like I can do everything. I can't. But I'm going to be that one who's going to determine ultimately whether I can do this or whether I can't do this. Yeah, and I think that's part of what really resonated with me when I stumbled on your website and did some reading there and then decided to check you out farther and uh, looked, you know, looked on YouTube and watched some of your clips. And, you know, we all know that emotional intelligence is really what is the recipe for success, right? You can learn any skill practically. So it really, it's it's the emotional elements that, that get you far. And when you think about the emotional qualities that we end up either getting or building as we deal with, and I call them disabilities, um, <laughs> as we deal with those, those are really the key elements that people wish they could find in a great employee. Determination, resilience, and a figure-it-out kind of mentality. I used to be a recruiter. Greatest job ever. I would have paid them to do this job. It was like being on Seinfeld every day, first of all, but it was just such a joy because nothing will change somebody's life and emotional state faster than earning a living. Mm. You give somebody a job that pays a living wage, you have changed the direction of their life. And who knows how many thousands you've impacted because they now have an income And they're able to, it's that control. They're able to do things for themselves, contribute to the economy. Yeah, employment, I'm telling you, absolutely a gigantic issue. And I know for me, it was was really part of what helped me to continue to say, I'm going to beat this, or at least I'm going to beat it as well as I can because I'm going to figure this out. You know, when people started giving me freelance projects, friends who heard that I was getting better would have me come in and do a training course for them. And the more I pushed myself, discovered I can do, I'm still good. I can do this. The It was like gasoline on a fire. It just got stronger and stronger and the drive to beat it became stronger and stronger. You know what it is when everything you're talking about, it's purpose. And whether or not we have a disability or not is that 
that's what we want. We want to feel that we can fit in, that we right. can contribute, that we can provide. It's that sense of purpose. And what I share with people is that, you know what, whether you have a disability or not, I, I actually tell people the only place a true disability can reside is in one's attitude. Yeah. And that's a choice. And I see people who are fully physically functional who are disabling themselves based on what it is that they're believing in what their mind's telling them. And so, and then people who have no use of their body, who are basically thriving in life because they've chosen to go above and beyond it and still say, you know what, I'm going to find a way to make it work and have that true connection to a purpose in life. So the more that we can empower people to at least, because I can't tell people what their purpose is. I can help them to to discover it, but Mm -hmm. that's actually the individual's journey. But if I can help them. Power you, if I can help you to believe, if I can give you like a blueprint or like a a, a map uh, to find a a, a hidden treasure in which it's your purpose. Yeah, I mean, wow, that's that's my mission completed. That's yeah. I think of it as fertilizer. Yeah, we provide fertilizer for the seed that is already inside of every person, so that it grows out. Yep. from you because you were you came out fully formed inside yep. and that's what growth is all about so yeah so i just think about it as as giving some people some fertilizer there you go sean i i, I could talk to you forever this is fabulous really <laughs> um but let's talk scott about how you were able to build your speaking practice so you decide how did that how did this even happen because I think that's an interesting process for people to hear how did somebody you know I'd like to be a speaker how did this guy do it and then I'd like to talk about how you you decided to really use your wound literally as your message I, I you know think of it as making your mess your message so so how did you do all that well, that, the job that I took after that first job out of college um, in which it was pulling at me a little bit was an opportunity to speak on behalf of a nonprofit organization. Okay. And it was the, the Bonacani Fund, which is the fundraising arm of the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis, which is the largest research center for spinal cord injury. They had Miami offices and they had New York offices. So living in New Jersey at the time, I worked out of their New York office. And what they did is that I was in charge of um, cause-related marketing. So I would go around and I would give speeches to different corporations who were um, either moving a product or a service in which a portion of the proceeds were going to go to the Bonacani Fund. So I started talking to audiences. It was partially my sharing my own story and living with paralysis. And then the other hand, the story was uh, talking about the research that was ongoing and the breakthroughs at the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis. So that was great. That opened me up and got me into doing what I I thought was just phenomenal work. And then this opportunity to take not one, but two trips around the world just took this whole speaking to another level and it made it much more personable. Um, uh, I want to say personal and allowed me through my own work to kind of build a blueprint in which I could share with others and help them to find happiness, to create success, to live more meaningful, personal, and professional lives. So that's when I got back from my second trip around the world, and I was just like, wow, you know what? I I want to launch my own business. So that was back in 2000 when I launched Scott Chesney LLC. And it got to the point where, and it's still to this day, because every year as a, um, a business owner, every year as an entrepreneur, I mean, you're finding yourself in some ways recreating yourself. I mean, there's a, yes. a foundation that's still there that needs to be hold true right. um, to yourself, but it's it's a very challenging business, but it's a, it's a very rewarding one too. So what was interesting though, is that even before 2000, in which I was starting to think about how I wanted the speaking career to develop, I'll never forget. I was speaking in uh, Sydney, in Australia, Sydney, Australia. And at the end of my presentation is uh, we had a few hundred people that were there. And I had, uh, I usually have a a lineup of audience members who are there and just wanting to share a little bit more. I always do a Q and a, but there's always people who want a little bit more 
individual time with me. And there's always one yes. person at the end who wants even more time. So I, I just saw this person hovering and they came up to me and they said, Scott, that was a, that was fantastic what you just did. I was like, oh, you enjoyed the presentation. She said, the, the presentation was awesome, but what you just did for the last 45 minutes with your audience members. And I said, I just love connecting with them and sharing and helping them with some of their own things that are going on in their lives. And they're like, wow, that your, your life coaching is amazing. Um, and I said, well, what was that term? And they said, life coach. And I was like, wait a minute, tell me a little bit more. So they described it. And I was just like, I, I said, damn, I was like, people get paid for this. And I was just, exactly. I had never heard of Ow. it before. And I just thought it would be a great combination to my business, which it is to this day. But so I am a speaker who developed a coaching practice mm -hmm. as an offshoot of that. But then there are coaches who develop speaking business right. as an offshoot. And you know what? They really do go hand in hand. And I can honestly say, while there are challenges in their growths um, with running your own business, is that um, I do what I love. I love what I do. I'm absolutely connected to my purpose. I am absolutely driven yep. each and every day to fulfill my mission, which is to make a positive difference in the life of at least one person each and every day. That's my message. That's my that's my my mission in life. And, and I'm just thankful because, again, I know that there are people out there who are making millions, billions of dollars who, you know, what, are, are still not happy, right. who still don't know what they want in life. And so I, I'm one of those people who, you know, what they, they say money can't buy you happiness is that I, I've done well for myself, but there's always another level like anything in life. And I was like, yeah, you know, you give me a, a few million dollars and everything. I'll show you how much happened because there's that part of me that not only wants to build and create more for myself and my family, but you know what? There's a lot of work that I want to continue to do for right. others as well. And so, I mean, I, Raise Hope allows me to do that and everything, but to be able to create more finances on an ongoing basis, I mean, that, that drives me as well in realizing that, you know what, there, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, exactly. That, that's, that's been a big, um, learning thing for me is to realize, you know what, through this transformational work and everything, is it just something that I should put out there and, and just offer and everything. So going through that, you know what, no, there, there's, there's fees involved and there's payments and there's stuff and everything. So right. that was one of the reasons, uh, one of the challenges that I went through early on in my business. Which was pricing your services. Pricing, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I still, still to this day, and it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it, it gets easier. I want to say in some ways um, as you become more reputable and so forth. But right. I, I just love it how you like you go to the grocery store and you see a steak, and the steak's like nineteen dollars and everything. You don't say, you know what? I'm going to give you fifteen dollars for this. Right. But you know what? In the speaking business, I mean, and and guess what? For the most part, you do come in, but you still have those people who just like, hey. And then you get around and, and one of my challenges, and this has been personally and also professionally is that I've had a difficult time saying no. So this is where, again, I, I feel that with raise hope as well, is that allows me to do the work with some, um, some clients, some organizations that might not be in a position to afford me through my for-profit, okay. so I can channel things through the nonprofit and still be able to connect with the audience right. that absolutely need my help and need the training yeah. that I'm able to provide. So it, it, it allows me a good balance. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just made some notes while you were talking. Um, it's, it's a magical moment when you feel that lightning bolt that hits your heart. I'm going to get choked up. And you realize this is why I went through this. Mm. Whatever that is, you know, whatever you're experiencing at the moment that is that lightning bolt moment for you, and I know I had more than one, it just, because we're sense-making humans, right? So we want to know there's some purpose to this, and we're, we're always looking for that purpose. And when you feel that moment, it's electric. Yeah. It really, really is electric, and I think that's like the little bow on the package of when you can go, this really is the greatest gift I was ever given. I would have much rather have a nice suit or right. some, other, <laughs> some other present, 
but okay, I'll take this one and I'm going to make the best of it. And yeah. and yeah, I remember that moment that, that happened for me and it was completely magical. So I'm going to assume that you, and correct me, so you, you're out on your own. Did you start paid speaking right away or did you do some free stuff and then work into gradually setting your price, raising your price? Can you talk a little bit about the mechanics of that? Yes, is that, and because I'm always, almost on a daily basis, being approached by people and asking how, you know, yeah, because people want to know how I can make this happen. I, I, I share with people, and, and something that I didn't even do, but I would absolutely suggest it. I, I did a lot of my speaking and a lot for free um, when I was traveling around the world. And there were different organizations, rehab centers, hospitals, okay. even like uh, hotels. I mean, I, I have such a great combination of corporate work and uh, association work and colleges and universities and even K through 12 schools. There's like a really good balance. But while I was traveling, I was invited to come speak. And because the whole journey was paid for and everything, I didn't have to charge. So it's like I got comfortable with all different audiences. So, but uh, uh, again, that was my journey. That was my path. What I suggest to people today who are looking to start speaking, because we, we all have a story and we all have a compelling story. And it's mm -hmm. one that absolutely makes you unique as a speaker. Obviously, whether it be how to's and so forth is that there's going to be a lot of similarities and blueprints that are the same, but it's your story that makes it very unique. So um, I suggest that you become very comfortable with that story, but there's an organization and I get nothing for mentioning them, but it's free. Um, is Toastmasters. Oh, please sign and, up. Absolutely. And I tell people sign up for Toastmasters because guess what? You're there and right. you're able to talk, maybe get over those fears of talking to an audience. And then you have people who are going to critique your speeches. Then you're going to critique theirs. You'll make some great friends. I've even had people, clients who have met boyfriends or girlfriends there. And so it's a great way. And then I always suggest is that your local um, uh, chamber of commerce mm -hmm. is that approach yep. them and just say, hey, listen, I would love to um, speak at one of your meetings. And so you go there and, and don't expect any money from that. But what you can do in exchange for them bringing you in, because you're not charging them anything, is that, listen, I, I'd like to videotape this presentation. Right. Um, I'd like to get testimonials. And then right. what I always do wherever I go, and still to this day, I have my work, uh, a pro bono work. I mean, there are people, and I will set aside a certain number of presentations in which I will do pro bono. And, um, but I, I always say is that just make sure that even with that pro bono work in which you're giving of your services, get phenomenal testimonials from people. Have video work done if it's able to be done. But also if they love, which I mean, I, I always go and ask my, my clients, I was like, did we exceed your expectations? Um, I don't even want to say meet because if meet, ugh, okay. And there's something to be learned from every presentation I do. So I will have absolutely with every presentation, I don't care if it's like a two minute standing ovation that I've received is that I am finding out how I can grow and learn. Right. So I, I ask people if they say this was a phenomenal presentation is that like, I, I want to capture that video testimonial. And I want to say, listen, are there 10 people who are in your work out there? at other organizations, 10 people who have your same title at different organizations who maybe through an association, you, I meant, can you reach out to them on behalf of me? And so I'm oh, sure would love to do that. So it begins the whole networking process and awesome market and do stuff. So, um, and then, you know what, you, you get to that point. And for me, I think I started off with schools and then there were a couple corporations and I realized that, you know what, I, I wanted to have a balance. And still to this day, I have a great combination of corporate work of association, college and universities and K through 12 schools. That's and great. so the more that I can bounce because there's one that pays more than the other. But right. I, again, it's where my heart is when the phone rings. I, I never know who it's going to be, um, which makes it very exciting. Um, um, also, when you get to a point of becoming more of a seasoned speaker is that I'm a member of the National Speakers Association. Um, I'm also a member of different speakers bureaus. Mm -hmm. who basically are doing um, a, a lot of work for me out there, but it still doesn't necessarily replace what it is that I need to do for myself on a daily basis right. and network and connect. But I love the word of mouth. I meant word of mouth is phenomenal. So I always try to capitalize on that. So uh, it, it's interesting though, but just know is that there's um, 
there's levels of growth. And just to really uh, hone in on your message, hone in on what it is that you want to deliver and make sure that they're takeaways and knowing full well, it's, it's not just about you have your story, be your centerpiece, have it be what's a part of every presentation. Because I know whenever I give a presentation is that people are wondering like, why is he in that wheelchair? And I think a lot of audiences are thinking he's going to come out and say that. Now I've had audiences over the years now say to me, that will come up and said, you know what? I I almost forgot you were in a wheelchair. And then you brought it up midway through your presentation because I realized that it's so much more uh, than this wheelchair, than the experiences in this wheelchair. But it's those experiences. And I said, you know what? The more that you can be an experience maker for people is that we remember experiences. That's what we remember. We don't remember someone who's just behind a podium. We just don't remember this. We remember good experiences, those experiences that shook us. So I'm a very emotional, passionate speaker. So if you tell me, you know what, you cry tears of joy and tears of happiness during my presentation and everything else in between, I've succeeded. I've succeeded. And so that's what I'm hoping my, my speaking and also my coaching to get people to get in touch with their emotions and their feelings. But I'm also hoping something that is kind of taking, I, I, I'm just about done with a book. Um, awesome. So this is going to be based on a lot of experience in my lives, but Great. it's going to be a book that people, and I'm telling you now, Winnie, are going to have by their bedside and they're going to be picking up every day. And so what's happening along with that is that there's also a documentary on my Excellent. life um, that has been developed. It's called Ride the Wave. I, okay. I have a working title now for my, my book, but I'm not going to unveil that now because that's still a little work in progress, right. but there's a documentary called Ride the Wave. I do a lot of adaptive surfing. I actually broke my leg a few uh, months ago doing that and heading back into that ocean, overcoming fear and all that. But yeah. um, I've realized that, you know what, while it's a little bit about surfing, it's more about kind of riding that wave through life and realizing that there's peaks, which we've talked about today, and which you're riding that wave and you feel like everything is wonderful, knowing full well that there's always another level but also realizing that you could be at the bottom of that wave and be going through some serious, serious, challenging issues, but knowing full well when you can weather those storms and there's so much to be learned from when you're at the bottom of that wave and knowing full well that there's going to be another wave for you to catch and where do you mm-hmm. want to position yourself on that wave. So I'm looking forward to that. And that's going to be something as well that we hope to inspire and motivate a lot of people but something as well that people yeah. be plugging into their own lives and saying, I know this is about Scott, but yet I feel like he's talking to me. Yeah. yeah. So excited. A lot, lot going on. Yeah, lot that's exciting. On. So <laughs> let's tell everybody about your coaching and how they can learn more about your foundation, the coaching you offer, stay in touch about the book and the documentary. Give us the story. So the coaching, I mean, you could say it's life coaching, but I call it personal empowerment coaching because it's that empowerment piece. And and while you might come to me and say, hey, you know what? I want a better relationship or I want to lose weight or I want a a career change or I don't know what to do after college. I mean, it's the reasons that people approach me are all great. and We will dive into those issues. But I said, the only way I know how to coach is to look at you as a whole. So while you may only want to focus on here, I need to focus on everything because everything is relative and I need to find out with you as you're, I'm your co-pilot here. You're the one steering this is that we need to find out what's going on in all aspects of your life. Make peace with the past, as I always say, mm-hmm. um, ha- launch powerful intentions for the future, but really find a way to live in every moment, because that's where we create things. That's where we create a new attitude. That's where we create a new blueprint for succeeding in life. And so helping people to get back to that place within themselves and build their lives from the inside out. So my, my coaching um, involves, I mean, I, I talk to people via Skype. I talk to them over the phone. I've had people in different countries um, as my clients over the years. And if you live close enough to me here in Northern New Jersey and people want to face-to-face, I mean, we we try to create the time to do that. So um, they're they're 45-minute sessions and um, they're homework assignments that I, I, and I term it homework, but a lot of people have association with homework. This is all work that you're doing on yourself. And it's just great. But I, I, I always... 
I like to start off with six sessions with everyone. Uh, so six sessions, that's pretty much the, the, the baseline for my presentation is knowing for well after those six um, sessions is that, you know what, we're going to determine, you know what, because uh, the, the ultimate objective is to have you fly solo. Now, uh, I, I have a lot of friends who are chiropractors out there, and I, I, I mean, no disrespect, but you don't need to come to me for a, a weekly adjustment. Um, <laughs> right. I don't want you to think, wow, I'm going to have a life coach forever. I'll always be here for you, but my uh, goal is to get you flying solo. You can check in with me. We can have like a, a we revisit things at some point, but I want to get you functioning on your own and not just relying on me. It's not about relying on anyone. Yeah. It's about feeling empowered. So, um, we do that so we have our homework assignments, we have weekly assignments, and um, and then we come around and after those six sessions, we determine, you know what, do we need a few more? Or, you know, we're, we're ready to go. So um, I, I love doing that. It's still something that complements my, my speaking business. And, um, and again, everything, my presentations, my coaching, everything is customized and tailored to meet your specific needs. So if you're an event planner and having this huge event in which you have 10,000 people are there, is that, you know, how do you want your audiences, audience members leaving? What do you want them more importantly to feel as a result of hearing me speak? And then same holds true with my individual coaching clients. What's the ultimate objective? What it is that you want and what do you want to see and what do you want to experience and feel in your life? Outstanding. And, and, and Raise Hope now, Raise Hope Foundation. Yes. Um, again, it's a combination of trainings that we provide. So we'll do online trainings. We'll do in-person trainings. Doing a lot here in the tri-state area, but there are plans to take this um, nationwide because it is such a formidable program and we're getting more corporations to buy in. And so we have a lot of people who, you know what, maybe want to get a job. Um, so the part of the empowerment, the training that we provide, I mean, we also make introductions to business and we do some, um, job coaching and mentoring as well. So that might be the objective, but it might, someone else who, um, contacts us might just be in a place of, Hey, you know what? Um, I, I want a relationship in my life, or, um, I just want to manage my disability a little bit better. It doesn't have a necessarily objective to wanting to work, um, or having to work. And so while that's always on the table, it's just sometimes that empowerment piece. But ultimately, we want people really feeling like anything's possible in their lives yeah. and, and providing them with that training. Again, it's a combination of training, um, coaching, and also um, mentoring. We even get our board members involved in mentoring to give them somewhat of a, a different objective than what I and the other trainers can provide. That's great. And of course, we'll have links to everything. ScottChesney.com will have links to all of that. But I'll have links to, to Scott's site, social media uh, accounts, etc. So you can track him down and connect with him. This has been such a great pleasure. I'm so glad you were able to be on the show. What great information. And I, I hope everybody else enjoyed it as much as I did. Wonderful. Winnie, thank you so much. Again, as I'm sharing with you and all your listeners out there, we're just mere reflections of one another. So it was great to look in the mirror today and see you and appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Bye-bye. Scott is incredibly inspiring, isn't he? After we finished talking, he told me he wanted to give a gift to you. So if you want to check him out at his site, scottchesney.com, and then if you want to talk about working with him, be sure to send him a message at scott at scottchesney.com and put 30% Winnie in the subject line so he knows you heard about him through the show. If you like this episode, I hope you'll share it with your connections. Please leave a great review for it on the platform where you've consumed it and be sure to subscribe either on that specific platform like iTunes or iHeartRadio, Google Play, or you can subscribe to the video version on YouTube. But when you subscribe at my website at winnieanderson.com fans, you'll receive episodes emailed to you each week along with information, tips, and resources to help you profit from your expertise by positioning and pre-selling yourself as the unique trusted advisor you are. All right, so your cocktail exercise. Of course, that's otherwise known as a reflection exercise. No alcohol needs to be involved. Don't drink and drive and don't drink to excess. All right, so you know you don't have to have a physical limitation to be held back from working towards a goal. Often what paralyzes us is fear of some sort. 
while we're able to move physically, and we might even tell ourselves we're moving forward, what's really happening is we're allowing ourselves to procrastinate, get caught up in perfectionism, practice avoidance behavior, or get caught up in what author John Acuff calls hiding places or noble obstacles. So I want you to think about what's holding you back, but also think about how you're holding you back. Do you have an emotional wound that's keeping you frozen and right where you are? You know, we can place blame and make excuses, but really, at some point, we have to admit we know what to do, but we aren't doing it, or we're setting up obstacles or self-sabotaging ourselves and keeping ourselves from making the progress we know in our hearts we're capable of. We're not living up to our full potential. That's painful to admit, I know. And I know that because I had to admit it to myself several years ago. All right, so your action step. First, you have to identify what's holding you back. And the root is some type of fear. Now, fear comes from two things. It's a memory from something in the past, and we're carrying it with us, projecting it into the future. You may have given a presentation in high school, and maybe people laughed at you, or you didn't get a good grade for it. And since you don't want to relive that pain, you resist and openly avoid speaking. You know, we develop develop these fears as a way to soothe an emotional wound. That's the second place that fear comes from. So back to our speaking example. You know, you gave your speech, right, and you were hurt emotionally by what happened. Absolutely. Really, you felt rejected. Now, rejection is one of the six emotional wounds that each of us can experience. In order to soothe the wound, we develop needs. So a need for acceptance or a need to be perfect may be a need that develops in response to that wound of feeling rejected. And then you may avoid any activity, especially speaking, that can make you feel rejected all over again. So visit winnieanderson.com slash Scott with two T's there and get the handouts that are there and that they share the common fears and the six emotional wounds and have a look at what fears you have. Be honest with yourself. Then take a look at the needs that are listed there and see if you can identify the needs that might be holding you back. Of course, the next step is to commit to facing and taking action to make change. Now, having courage doesn't mean that you're fearless. The definition of courage is action in the face of fear. So changing behaviors, facing your fears, of course, is hard and can be scary. Letting go of disempowering patterns and developing empowering ones often takes support, and there's no shame in recognizing that. If you decide that you'd like to get support and make the kinds of changes that you really need and want to make in your business, then consider joining the Courageous Entrepreneurs Club. The club is the place where member entrepreneurs provide accountability and support to each other as they move forward to achieve the goals that they otherwise just wouldn't be able to make on their own. And it's also the place where they can be held accountable and uh, receive the support that they need from me, as well as their fellow group members. So group enrollment happens at specific times during the month. And if you want to learn more, go to winnieanderson.com slash club to learn more. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. Remember, you deserve all the success you dream of.